As you're being seated, I invite your attention to the Old Testament book of Joshua. You're welcome to use a pew Bible, but you may just want to listen this morning because I'll be reading out of a different translation. I'll be reading out of the New American Standard Bible. Our text is found in the book of Joshua, chapter 2, beginning at the very first verse. We are continuing and wrapping up today our sermon series that we've entitled Everyday Heroes. And today we're going to be looking at a person by the name of Rahab. I hope that you know Rahab and know Rahab well. Beginning at verse 1, chapter 2 of Joshua. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab. May I call your attention to the fact that in the text there, before you even learn that her name is Rahab, you learn that she was a harlot. She was a harlot whose name was Rahab, and and the spies lodged there in her home. Verse 2, It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you and who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them, she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came it came about, it was time to shut the gate of, at dark, that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Again, let me call your attention to the fact that where I come from, they call that a lie. You're going to see that as the text continues. Rahab knows exactly where these men are. But let me help Rahab out just a little bit. Uh, You will learn in the text here that Rahab was uh, a citizen of the city of Jericho. That means she was a pagan. She was a pagan worshiper of the heathen god Baal. So she was just beginning to learn something about the God of Israel. So as a pagan worshiper of Baal, perhaps she didn't know how sinful it is to lie. And even on another note, we have been told over the centuries by Jewish rabbis, and part of what they tell us comes from this text, we've been told by Jewish rabbis over the centuries that that perhaps it is appropriate to tell a lie if it saves a life. We particularly heard that from a lot of Jewish rabbis during the Holocaust because of people like the Christian Corey Ten Boom who lied to the Nazis. And as a result of lying to the Nazis, she saved the lives of several Jews. So yes, here Rahab tells a lie, 
But I invite you to give her a little grace at this point. Continue on with the text. After she told the lie, she said to the emissaries of the king of Jericho, Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them to the road, to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now, before these spies lay down, she, Rahab, came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, says Rahab, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above." and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, Our life for yours if you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. This is the word of God. God. Friends, would you pray with me? God, it's so easy for us to give attention to the sins and the shortcomings of others. But we pray, especially in these moments, that you will give us the grace to give attention to our own sins and shortcomings. God, we pray that we will open our lives to you this morning, and we will invite you through the power of your grace to do a new, fresh work in each one of us. God, we know that for each one of us in this place, you see something in us that no one else can see and that we cannot even imagine ourselves. So God, we come before you this morning in humility. We come before you seeking a fresh outpouring of your grace. We come before you inviting you to continue your work of transformation in our lives. We offer this time to you. Help each one of us, God, to be very sensitive and tender to the ministry of your Spirit in this place. 
And may we do nothing to hinder the Spirit's work in our lives or in the lives of others. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. It would be interesting to know how many of you have heard of the name Rahab. It would be interesting to know how many of you can actually, perhaps for today, give us some details about the life of Rahab. But I commend Rahab to you. Even if this is your first introduction to Rahab, I hope that it will not be the last time you meditate upon Rahab. Rahab is, is told of us here in chapter 2 of Joshua. She's mentioned again in chapter 6 of Joshua. But then, perhaps even more importantly, if you haven't heard from her from the Old Testament, you perhaps recall her being mentioned in the New Testament. Most of us know the New Testament better than we know the Old Testament. In the New Testament, this harlot, Rahab, is mentioned three times. So just like the New Testament, the Old Testament commends Rahab to us, I commend Rahab to you this morning. If you are just for the first time hearing about Rahab, perhaps you've never spent much time hanging out in the Old Testament book of Joshua, I invite you to consider going deeper and going broader in your investigation of Scripture. In this age, we, we need wisdom. We need all the wisdom that the whole counsel of God can give to us, not just a few selective favorite texts from the Bible, but I, I encourage you to consider the whole counsel of God. Have you heard yet that this fall we are resurrecting Disciple One here in the life of Wesley Memorial? Wesley Memorial did Disciple Bible study several years ago when many of the Methodists were in to disciple Bible study, but I don't think we've done it recently here in Wesley Memorial. If you're not familiar with Disciple Bible Study, or especially Disciple One, I, I invite you to discover more about Disciple One. It was in the early 1980s when, under the leadership of Bishop Richard Wilkie, that many of us in the United Methodist Church came to realize that many of the people called Methodist are remarkably illiterate when it comes to the Bible. And out of that, realization back in the early 80s, we created Disciple Bible Study. And there were several editions of Disciple Bible Study, but for most of us, the, the one that we saw change the largest number of lives was Disciple One. And I'm so grateful that we're going to have a great person to facilitate Disciple One this fall, one of our newer members, Tucker Mitchell. He's done that many times uh, in other places. If you don't know about Disciple One, I invite you to learn more about Disciple One and consider giving yourself to Disciple One uh, on Wednesday evenings beginning in the fall, and it will carry you through the spring semester. In Disciple One, you'll read about 70% of the Bible, and I believe that's why Disciple One particularly in comparison to Disciple 2 or Disciple 3 or Disciple 4, was so transformative for the people who have 
gone through Disciple One because they read such a large amount of Scripture. They get the whole story. They get all of our story when they look at Disciple One. Again, in this culture, we're so inundated with information. We know a lot about a little, and sometimes even our biblical knowledge is a mile wide and an inch deep. But we need to know more of the wisdom that God has for us in Scripture. So I invite you to continue to watch uh, the Wesley Weekly, our email newsletter, and learn more about Disciple One. Perhaps that's what God is calling you to, and perhaps this morning, if you have never heard of Rahab, that might be God speaking to you. Or perhaps you just knew very little about Rahab. Perhaps that might be God speaking to you. That maybe there's more in the Word than you have ever imagined. More wisdom for the living of these days. So here we are this morning looking at Rahab. Here in the text, in Joshua chapter 2, we catch up with the children of Israel as they have now made their way through the wilderness. They have crossed the Jordan River, and under the leadership of Joshua, they're making their way into the land of promise. They have made their exodus out of Egypt, and they're making their way into the gift that God had given to them of the land. Every time I think about the children of Israel making their way into the land of promise, to receive that gift that God has given to them, I'm always reminded that God's gifts to us are not automatic in our lives. Just because God offers us the gift, that doesn't mean that they are automatically received in our lives or appropriated in our lives. You know, it's interesting to me that when God told the children of Israel, I will give you, give you the gift of the land of promise, but this gift you have to go in and possess because even though I'm giving you the gift of the land of promise it is inhabited by Hittites and Hivites and Jebusites and Gergesites and Canaanites and you've got to go in and do something about all those Canaanites and take possession of the land of promise friends God may have a particular gift for you this morning but you have to exercise your will you have to exercise your faith. You have to do something to possess what it is that God is trying so hard to give you. God gave the gift of land to the Israelites, but we know the story. We know of all that they had to endure to receive the gift of the land. So here they are. They've just crossed the River Jordan. They're beginning to take possession of their gift. And there is the city of Jericho. Jericho exists to this day, which is why we can say that the city of Jericho is the most ancient city on the face of the globe. We can see the city of Jericho. They saw the city of Jericho. So Joshua decided that before he could take the city of Jericho, he needed some strategic information. So he deployed two spies into the city. And the two spies went into the city, and they... They lodged with Rahab. I'll leave that to your imagination. Rahab was also an innkeeper. We know that from the scriptures. We also know, though, that her home was there built into the wall of Jericho. So it may just be a very simple reason they lodged there because it would allow for a quick escape should they need to escape. 
But these two spies went and they lodged with Rahab. And the king of Jericho discovered that they were there in the city. And not only were they there in the city, he discovered they were there with Rahab. So he deploys his emissaries to Rahab. And Rahab just looks straight at those emissaries and lies. She says, I do not know where the men went. Well, she knew exactly where the men went. She was hiding them on her roof. She had taken them and put them on her roof and put some, some stalks of flax over them because those stalks of flax would, would dry on the roof and then they could use them to create cloth. But that's where she had hidden the spies. Well, the emissaries of the king, they, they bought her lie. They go away. And then Rahab, according to the text, goes up stairs up to the roof and she has a conversation a very interesting conversation with the spies she goes up on the roof and she says to the spies I know that the Lord has given you the land I know that the Lord has given you the land for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites Somehow she had heard from God, and perhaps that's the reason God sent the two spies to her home. God had been preparing her heart, and she had been paying attention. Sometimes the most important thing we can do on the spiritual journey is just learn how to pay attention to what's going on around us. She was paying attention. And evidently others there in Jericho were paying attention. And she said that for many of them, their hearts had melted when they heard what God had done um, to aid the Israelites. But then, after she recounts the mighty acts of God in the life of the Israelites, she makes a remarkable profession of faith. This is why we know that she's leaving the worship of Baal, and she is making her way into the worship of the God of Israel, because you saw in verse 11, she said, For the Lord your God, He is God. He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There are people sitting in Christian churches all across our land today that have never come to the realization that this Lord our God, He is God. He has to have supreme authority in our lives because He has supreme authority already in all of creation. And then after she made that remarkable profession of faith, Rahab asked a favor of the spies. She, in faith, knew what was coming. She knew that the city of Jericho would fall before the Israelites. She did know somehow through faith that those walls would come tumbling down. So she asked the spies that when that time would come, that they would deal kindly with her and her family. And in chapter 6 of Joshua, you see that that is exactly what they do when they take the city of Jericho. So that is her story, the story of the harlot named Rahab. I commend her to you. I hope this isn't the first time you've looked at her. I hope that you will continue to find inspiration from Rahab. 
She is mentioned here in the book of Joshua, and then she's mentioned three more times in the New Testament. She's mentioned in the very first chapter of the New Testament, but perhaps you missed it. She's mentioned there in Matthew chapter 1, that genealogy. Now, I know that we oftentimes just jump over genealogies, but there's no extraneous words in the Bible. They're there for a reason. So I encourage you, don't jump over the genealogies. There may be some nuggets of wisdom there in the genealogy. But if you look at Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, there are definitely some nuggets of wisdom there. When you look at the genealogy of Jesus and Matthew, you will notice that there are five. Five women named in the line of Jesus Christ. And by the way, all five women that are named in the line of Jesus Christ are women that for many people would have had questionable reputations. Not only do you see Rahab mentioned in the line of Jesus there in Matthew chapter 1, but if you will look at that genealogy, you will learn that Evidently, Rahab walked away from her old lifestyle. Evidently, she married. She married someone named Solomon. And after she married Solomon, she had a son. And perhaps you recognize the son's name. She had a son named Boaz. And of course, Boaz becomes the husband of Ruth. And Ruth becomes the great grandmother of King David. So that means this Rahab, the harlot Rahab, is the great, great grandmother of King David. Oh, by the way, have you heard I've had two grandchildren born? <laughs> I've got photographs. I'll, I'll show them to you. So this Rahab becomes the great, great grandmother of David. That puts her in the line of Jesus Christ. <laughs> We see in the book of Hebrews, she's mentioned in that great hall of faith uh, story in Hebrews chapter 11, where all those saints of the Old Testament are named for us, that great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. We see there in Hebrews that it was by her faith, because of her faith, that she did not perish along with all those others who were disobedient in the city of Jericho. And it's because by faith... By the operation of her faith, it caused her to do something. She received and welcomed the spies in peace. And then the last time she's mentioned is in that wonderful little book of the New Testament, the book of James, that little book penned by the half-brother of Jesus, who was the head of the church in Jerusalem when we got started. And there in James chapter 2, Rahab is presented as an example of living faith, active faith. Perhaps you recall that it's the book of James that says faith without works is what, church? Dead. So she is presented as someone that is a person of living, active faith. And when you look at her story, you see she was a person of great faith. She risked everything she had there in Jericho. And it cost her everything she had except her family to do what God was calling her to do when she received those spies and she aided the enemy. When's the last time you took a risk like that? 
here in our culture today, and we, I'm reading more and more about it here in our culture today, we are worshiping at the idol of safetyism. That's not our only idol before whom we worship in this age, but it's one of the idols that we're worshiping for before in this age, the, the, the idol of safetyism. We want to be safe. We want to be secure. We want to be comforted. When's the last time you've taken a really good old-fashioned risk because God's asking you to do something? I hope you don't miss the obvious. Every time I walk into this beautiful sanctuary and this beautiful structure, I think about those people 60 years ago and 50 years ago who took a risk. They left the church down on Main Street they moved out here probably in the country back then and they built this can you imagine the risk they were taking today in this world because we love to worship before the idol of safetyism we love to be the heirs and the beneficiaries of the risk that people before us have taken but God may be calling God certainly is calling us as individuals and as a congregation to take some risk in order to receive the gift that God is offering us. There's so many reasons I greatly, greatly appreciate Rahab. Rahab was an ordinary person, and the people there in Jericho would have said she was less than ordinary that God used. I'm sure that the people there in Jericho did not expect much out of Rahab. They just expected her to keep doing what she'd always been doing, and they knew what she had been doing. But God saw something else in Rahab. And God called Rahab, but more importantly, Rahab answered. She took the risk. She, she took the risk to follow a what for her was a new novel God, the God of the people of Israel. So Rahab stepped out in faith. Rahab refused, absolutely refused, to let her past determine her future. She refused to let her past failures, her past sins, determine her destiny. And she became more than the people in Jericho could have ever imagined. And here we are talking about her today on the other side of planet Earth from Jericho. God saw something in her. God saw a willingness in her. And God used her to do something great in the lives of the Israelite people. I'm sure the people there in Jericho didn't expect much out of old Rahab. You know, sometimes we form opinions like that, and they're dangerous opinions. I remember several, several years ago, over 20 years ago now, when I was pastoring another church in this vicinity, and we were having an evening worship service, and I was down front presiding over the beginning part of that evening worship service, and uh, I watched how my congregation paid attention, paid attention to one particular person that showed up that night to worship. I remember being in the pulpit of that church, leading the beginning of the worship service, and this person, this gentleman, came and sat to my far right. 
Now, he did not look like our typical church member in that church. It was obvious he was part of a, of a motorcycle club. He had the tattoos. He had the black leather. He had the insignia. He just had the look of someone that had really given himself wholesale to a motorcycle club, a biker club. And it was interesting to me, it was informative to me, to watch how my good Methodist folks paid attention to him as we were beginning our worship service that evening. Things changed dramatically when I invited him up to the pulpit to bring the evening message. He was, he was one of the leaders at what used to be a biker's club here in High Point, his laboring few. I watched a lot of stereotypical ideas fall away as he stood behind that pulpit and bore witness to his faith in Jesus Christ that night. I could look at my people looking at him when he came into the sanctuary that evening, and I knew that those people didn't expect much out of him, but I knew that they were in store for a special blessing through him. I'm sure the people there in Jericho didn't expect much out of Rahab. But God saw something in Rahab. God sees something in you. Don't let your past determine your future. Don't let your, let your past failures determine your destiny. We in the Christian community love to talk about grace. We Methodists particularly love to talk about grace. And I can't tell you the number of times I want to stop people and say, would you define that word for me? In this culture, even within the Christian community, and sometimes especially among the people called Methodists, they, they think of grace simply as leniency. They think of grace simply as letting someone off the hook. And they think of God's grace as God letting us off the hook, leniency. That is such a poor definition or understanding of grace. Let me give you a better biblical Methodist definition for grace. Grace is God's empowering presence at work. God's empowering presence at work in our lives. Now, when God shows up and God's empowering presence at work in our life, we do find forgiveness. We find cleansing from our sin. We find pardon. We find freedom from the dominion of sin. And it doesn't stop there. When God's empowering presence is invited into a human life, transformation begins, and only God knows the depths of that transformation. That's what grace is. Grace is not just leniency. It's not just letting people off the hook. It's God's empowering presence at work in our lives. That's why we call it amazing. That's why it will save us. It will deliver us, it will keep us, it will get us home one day. And even after we've been there 10,000 years, we'll keep talking and singing about God's amazing grace. So I hope that you know what we mean by grace. It may be different from what the world means by grace. hope that you know what we mean by grace. I hope that you have experienced God's grace and you're opening your life up up more and more to God's empowering presence. That's the gift, but we have to do something to appropriate, access, live into the gift. Hope that you know grace. I hope that you receive grace. I hope that we will live daily 
as trophies of God's grace in this world. Would you pray with me? God, we're so grateful that you, you welcome us just as we are. You accept us just as we are. But you love us too much to leave us just as we are. You have paid us that intolerable compliment of bothering us until you bring us home one day to help us grow up into the image of Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, that you will not leave us alone. We pray, God, that we will invite you to do an even greater work in our lives. We know that grace is amazing. It can accomplish far more in our lives and in this world around us than we can begin to imagine. So, God, we pray that we will make a fuller offering of our lives to you this morning. We invite Jesus Christ to rule and reign in our lives because when Jesus takes up residency in our hearts, that is your empowering presence, God, coming to live in us and through us. So, Jesus, we offer our hearts to you. For we pray in your name. Amen.